Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files. Forms for ordering CDs for these speakers and a special donate, a special place to donate to keep the service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jerry. Thanks, Atusa. Hi, everybody. My name is Jerry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jerry. And I'm a real food addict. Addiction is something that I never thought about growing up or for most of my early adult life. But um, this disease is a killer. Uh, I'll start with what it was like. Growing up, I thought that I was the only one who had such a terrible upbringing. My folks divorced when I was uh, six, and my mother used to beat me, and I thought that was horrible. The worst part of it was not the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, the words. They seemed to imprint on my brain, and they've stayed there for the rest of my life. Um, the worthlessness, you're going to kill me, those kind of things. Uh, it was it was pretty bad. Um, as far as the physical abuse, I sometimes can laugh at that today. My... Both my parents had food issues. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time. My father used to tell me all the time, just use willpower. Use a little willpower. You have such a nice face. All these phrases that a lot of us have heard over the years. Um, I found out the year before my father died, he was reminiscing with me about his life and talking about Friday night dinners and how we gorged ourselves. And then sometimes I would sleep over and Saturday morning he'd go to the bakery and bring in the worst garbage in the world. Again, gorging ourselves. And he, in passing, said, and you know, you'd throw up and then you'd eat again. I said, what? What do you mean you'd throw up? He said, you couldn't eat that much and not throw up. And he used to tell me about this willpower, and I, I just got so angry at that. But I can laugh at it. Anyway, um, when I was about 12 years old, the doctor told my mother that I should lose about 15 pounds, 20 pounds maybe. And I was put on a diet, and I lost 20 pounds. And that pleased my mother, so I was the good little boy. I gained 25 pounds, and the usual story. Uh, instead of yo-yoing, eventually I just yoed up and up. Each time, there was about 10 or 15% more gain than losing. And... Um, Somehow, 
when I was about 16, 17, I was dating. The weight came off, and I looked pretty normal. I was a normal weight, actually, from my height. I was about 168 pounds. And um, I got to college as a freshman, and I remember about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on certain days, I'd get a sandwich that was between lunch and dinner. And it's a kind of a vague memory, but it was a regular thing with me. And uh, it, at that time, it didn't affect my weight. I was younger. I was very active. Um, I played football, and then I started seriously into tennis, which was my passion. Um, I started to gain weight in an early marriage. And that marriage lasted 13 years, and it was a really horrible, tear-down kind of marriage. When I, when I really um, had the courage to weigh myself, it was uh, 327 pounds. It was higher than that, I know, but when I, I was losing some weight and I finally got on the scale, that was the weight that I remembered. And um, so I've, I've lost about 110, 115 pounds, and I've leveled off, unfortunately, and I have about 35, 40 pounds maybe to go. I don't think about the weight loss. I don't think about the pounds. Uh, it's taken me forever not to really do myself in about my body image. It's been a very, very tough thing. Just accepting uh, invitations to speak at meetings is a miracle because the same thought would enter my mind immediately. How can I say yes, looking the way I do, talk to people who are maybe half my weight <laughs> and everybody else looking good, people tell me we're all the same on the inside. I still wonder about that sometimes. But, um, so anyway, after, you know, during the last couple of years of my first marriage, somebody mentioned OA to me. Unfortunately, it was someone that I really didn't care too much for. <laughs> the thought, I thought, went in and out. And um, about a year after my divorce, I remembered OA. I was desperate because up until that time, I tried every available diet. I tried hypnosis. I tried injections, um, all the commercial diets. I paid a lot of money uh, with some of these diet plans. and They all work. Every diet that I've known about works. Uh, as you know, it's hard to keep the weight off once you've lost it. And I was desperate. I, I remember... I wanted to get into shape, so I thought, I'm going to start jogging. 
And I remember this Saturday morning, I put on some shorts and sneakers, and I went out jogging. And I made it barely to the corner of the first block. And I was just, I was just beside myself. I was breathing heavily. I, I just felt miserable. And so I was determined. Every day, every morning, no matter what my schedule was like, I would get up and start jogging. Little by little. And I got up to about sometimes two and a half, three miles, uh, a slow jog, maybe a 12-minute mile, I think, something like that. I started playing tennis again. The weight was coming off, and then it all stopped. And the weight started to creep up again. And I, I just, I didn't know what else to do, and I remembered OA. So I went to the phone book, looked up Overeaters Anonymous, made the call. Oh, by the way, while I was beginning as a freshman in college, I felt like a very spiritual person, but I was down on religion. And I came to have absolutely no belief in a higher power. None. And I felt very smug about that. I remember almost better than, holier than thou. I didn't need a crutch. That was a feeling and that was the thinking on my part. So much for spiritualism. Um, My first meeting was at a church here in Los Angeles, Crescent Heights and Olympic Boulevard. And it was a Thursday night. I walked in. It was kind of dimly lit. No one else was there. There was a card table. And on the card table was the big book. Kind of used, but there it was. And I sat down, and I am waiting and waiting and waiting. And no one else showed up. And I, I really was upset. I went over to the card table. I picked up the big book and left. <laughs> Again, so much for spiritualism. Uh, I, I later made amends for that. Not right away, though. Um, it turned out that I was an hour early for that meeting. <laughs> So the next week, on a Wednesday, I went to what is my home meeting. And this was in September 1974. A lot of you weren't born yet. (laughs) Um, And I've gone to that meeting ever since. And I'll have to tell you what it was like, though. That first meeting, I thought you were nuts. I thought it was mass hypnosis. People were too happy, too smiley, huggy, you know, that kind of thing. Various sizes. And uh, I never saw the likes of that before. The speaker, the speaker was this woman. 
The whole time she was talking, I think my mouth was wide open. I just couldn't understand how she could admit all the things that she did. Um, it was incredible. I was very uncomfortable. I was very conscious of the happy feeling during the meeting, the acceptance. And I felt very, very different from, or very different than. After the meeting, the speaker was standing near the door, near the exit door. And I started to leave, and she was talking to someone. And without batting an eyelash, she stuck out her arm and stopped me from leaving, took my hand. She continued talking to this other person. And I, I, I really felt like a prisoner almost. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what was going on. And she finally turned to me and she said, Hi, my name is Jeannie. What's yours? And I told her my name and I wanted to say, let me go. <laughs> I really wanted to run. I, I was getting a very uncomfortable feeling. She took my hand in both hers and she started rubbing my hand <laughs> and talking to me. You can laugh, but I didn't, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I just didn't know what to make of this. And uh, Anyway... She said, are you, are you going to be back here next week? I said, well, I don't know. She said, why? <laughs> um, anyway, I finally said, yes, I'll be back. I, she made me promise that I was going to come back there. And I did. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. At the time, it was a big wooden structure. And about 50 or 60 people would show up. There were coffee breaks, and it, it was a wonderful meeting. So I have served as um, secretary, secretary uh, treasurer, speaker coordinator, everything under the sun there, and it's still meeting today. I see some familiar faces here who have gone there. That first meeting, when I left, the first thing I did was stop at a fast food place and ordered a hamburger and fries. Why, I don't know. That's the insanity here. When I heard the words at the meeting about insanity and um, disease, it really, really riled me up. I thought how preposterous that is. I, I really took offense at the word disease. What kind of disease are you talking about? Well, I have a disease of the mind. Absolutely. I couldn't understand why I went and ate after the meeting. I did that after every meeting for many, many months. Now, I have to admit this. For seven or eight years, I went to meetings. I never got a sponsor. 
I never read the books. All I did was go to meetings. And, um, and my weight climbed up. And I wondered why. <laughs> I finally got a sponsor. After, after asking someone to sponsor me, he said he was full. And I took that as complete rejection. And it took me a while before I asked someone again. So I finally got a sponsor. My first sponsor was a wonderful guy. And he worked diligently with me through all the steps. And um, I wasn't on a diet. But the weight started to come off. And that really confounded me. And I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it continued to come off. I felt after eight and a half years of abstinence, I felt I was well now. And I stopped going to a few meetings. And my food got bigger and bigger. And I tried some other foods that were no-nos for me. And pretty soon, the weight just kept up again. And I was appalled that I could be gaining weight in a program where you're supposed to lose weight. Now, I came to these rooms to lose weight, not to fix my head. And so I did lose weight and I gained it and it took a long time for me to start losing again. Today, I sponsor. I do most of the steps all the time. I'm pretty bad with the telephone, but I love writing. And I remember someone told me to try, instead of with a pen, use the pencil. The graphite is smooth and flows over the paper. I remember when my sponsor first told me to write. I said, I don't know what to write. He said, You'll write. And um, the very first time I had a legal pad and I stared at it and I finally wrote, I don't know what to write. And the second sentence was, I don't know what to write. After about 10 minutes, I think I wrote 11, 12, 13 pages of feelings. I, I was absolutely amazed. And I was also in therapy at the time. And self-knowledge avails us nothing. I heard that for a long time. And it took me a long time and a lot of money to find out all the whys. Um, it helped. It certainly has helped in my present marriage. But so has the program. Um, I remember also working with a sponsor and him saying to me, well, you have to think of writing down a list of gratitudes. I said, gratitude? I've been done in. I don't feel like gratitude. That's not in my vocabulary. What do I have to feel grateful for? 
And he said, well, you're going to figure that out. <laughs> um, that took a few years yet. I, I discussed with him about my amends. And I made all kinds of amends. In therapy, my therapist happened to know 12-step programs inside and out. I was very lucky about that. And I was talking to him about the amends, and he said, and what about your ex-wife? And I looked at him, I said, what? <laughs> he said, what about your ex-wife? What amends did you make? You know what I went through. I've told you that every week. You said, no, you still have to make some amends. You owe her. I said, even if I did, she would probably make copies of that amend and send it to everybody that we both know. He said, that's not for you to know about. That's not your business. Will you do it? I said, okay. The next visit, he said, did you do it? I said, not yet. <laughs> and so after the third or fourth visit, I finally wrote him amends. He wanted to see it, and then he wanted me to put it in an envelope, seal it, put a stamp on it, and give it to him to mail. <laughs> and... Uh, for months after, I couldn't stop thinking about that. And I actually, well, I'll back up. In all the time we were divorced, my ex-wife and I hadn't said more than two or three words. Going to our children's birthday parties, I could walk into a room and just be invisible as far as she was concerned. But after this amends that was mailed to her, I got a response. And I, I knew the address, the handwriting, and I didn't open it for about two days. And I finally opened it, and it just simply said, Oh, Jerry, I forgave you a long time ago. And I, to this day, I can't understand that. Um, but I am very grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of things every single day. One sponsor that I've had had me do the vowels and write my food down and do all the things that I test. But it helps. It all helps. I have to admit that. Um... I still write my food down. I don't call my food in because that, to me, feels like a diet. And if anything feels like a diet, I still, to this day, want to do the opposite thing. That's um, a very immature thing of me. And even though that's a value judgment, I, I feel that it is uh, like a little kid. I do try not to have value judgments with people. I remember also my sponsor talking with me about the fact that at my home meeting, 
there was a woman there that I was getting more and more uncomfortable with and angry with to the point where I didn't look forward to going to the meeting and I asked my sponsor what to do and he said pray pray for her I thought about that I started to pray and by coincidence like two weeks later she stopped coming to the meeting Um, I'm not trying to be funny about that but (laughs) that's what happened Uh, my sponsor that second sponsor when I asked if he could sponsor me said would you be willing to do anything that I ask of you and I said yeah I, I don't have a sponsor right now and I need a sponsor and I want you to sponsor me but he said if I asked you to sit on a fire hydrant nude would you do it I can't believe I said yes <laughs> And I was so thankful for him. He moved to Long Beach. And he'd come up occasionally to L.A. and call me. And we would meet over coffee. And I, I treasure those meetings. A very, very wise, spiritual guy. Helped me a lot. When my sponsor told me that I'm ready to sponsor, I said, I wouldn't think of it. I don't have that capability. And he said, sure you do. You finished all the steps. A sponsor helps someone through the steps. And we had talked previously about a sore spot with me. I don't believe sponsors should tell people how to live per se and my sponsor knew that and he said I was ready to sponsor and um, it was very scary it's like in my head putting someone's life in my hands but less dramatically than that it's like what I said simply helping someone to go through the steps understanding them and um, doing the best I can. Today, that's what I do, just the best I can. I remember someone asking me at a meeting, asked me a question. I remember saying um, that I always wanted to just simply be normal, like everyone else. Uh, humility I thought was something like being humiliated I never understood humility before but just being like someone else was a goal for me not better than not worse than just sort of blending in and that's been a great great thing I still write lists gratitude lists Um, not more than one a day but (laughs) it's better than it used to be Uh, I, I have a lot to be grateful for 
this program I know has saved my life. I think I might open this up at least for a while to questions. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. How do you work the steps now um, in relation with your wife? Okay, how do I work the steps in relation to my wife? By the way, I met my wife in program. And um, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. Um, can you explain a little more about um, my question. sponsor says I wouldn't. My sponsor says to ask you how you work your program <laughs> in your relationship, in your marriage. Um, my program has helped immensely. Um, I would say that um, there's a phrase that I I can't recall at the moment. Self-righteousness. Ah, okay. I never recognized self-righteousness, nor did I recognize boundaries. Two very serious issues in any relationship. As soon as I realized what those two were, uh, that has helped my marriage tremendously. Uh, doing the steps. We talk about that a lot. Every day. Um, things come up. We can talk program because we're talking the same language. So it makes it a lot easier. We go to the same meetings and separately. We don't actually sit together and do the steps together. But... Um, I think going to the meetings and discussing things afterwards has helped tremendously. Um, boundaries. I don't think I'd be married today without realizing boundaries. And as soon as um, as soon as I make a mistake, an action that's inappropriate. I do a 10-step right then and there. I remember all my life growing up, if I ever admitted to something, I would get beaten something fierce. And after a while, I thought, you have to be an idiot to admit to something because that's bad. That's going to have a bad repercussion. And so I was always on the defensive covered up, never admitted to, that sort of thing. And I remember not that many years ago, really, I was looking for a parking space and there were two cars in front of me on a side street, not moving and blocking traffic both ways and I was getting really steamed. And there's this parking space for me. It had my name on it. I started honking once and then a couple of times. 
and I started really blowing the horn and yelling. And finally, the car in front of me sidestepped this car that was blocking the traffic. Finally, I could have my parking space. I walked into the market, walked down a particular aisle, and there, the two women that were in the car walking the opposite way, right, right towards me. And I just felt so embarrassed. And I walked over to them, and the one woman kind of looked scared. <laughs> and I said, you know, I acted terribly and I want to apologize. And she said, oh, thank goodness. I felt like such an idiot not moving sooner. And we both just felt great. I, I felt so good after that that I decided I'm going to start doing this all the time. Whenever the opportunity arises for me to apologize, I do it now. And it is such a relief. It's, it's such a weight. I, know, I don't want to be dramatic about that, but it's, it's just a wonderful feeling. Um... I hope that answers the question. <laughs> Hi, Jim. Thank you. You were mentioning about your parents uh-huh. and a very strained relationship with them. Did anything transform in your program in relation to them? Were they still alive when you were able to work anything out? Um, not with my father. My father was a very, very volatile man. Um, he used to boast that he didn't hit me very often. And he remembered the times that he did, and so did I. When I was six, um, I remember the landlady came up and spoke to my mother. They were talking, and she noticed some grease spot on the wallpaper. And she said, what's that? And my mother made up some excuse, and I said, no, Mom, that's when... Daddy threw the lamb chop at you. (laughs) Well, okay. The bad part is my father found out, which means my mother told him what I said. And he hit me, and I was unconscious for something like 11 or 12 minutes, I was told. I, I remember that. And another time when he hit me, I couldn't sit in fact, I couldn't lie on my back for two or three days. And he was like that. There were, there were plenty of good times with him. He was an incredible person, but he had a violent temper and an angry person. Um, with my mother, I always dwelt on what she did to me, all the bad things. I, I never kept in mind for years the wonderful things, uh, as in a lot of relationships. I remember when um, my wife called me and said that my mother was in the hospital again. She had a bad heart. And I went to see her, and I spent three hours with her and it was the one, one of the most wonderful visits I ever had with my mother. 
her legs were hurting and I massaged them and we were talking about one thing and another and my sister called and said we're meeting for dinner I said okay mom I'm going to run over and we're going to have dinner and I'll be back and she said Jerry I want to thank you this was so wonderful I could rest in peace and that was kind of an odd thing for my mother to ever say it just wasn't like her during dinner she passed away and oh it was just the greatest opportunity that I had to spend that those last few hours with her uh, with my dad unfortunately it didn't it just never happened really yes you spoke about how you had a sort of contempt for, um, I don't know if it was organized religion, but the concept of a higher power initially, and um, you viewed it as a crutch. I'm wondering um, how those ideas kind of were removed and how your view of the higher power transformed. Um, okay. How did my concept evolve of a higher power from nothing? Um, I spoke with my sponsor about this and at the time I was going to meetings I was reading the big book not much was happening though with my progress and he said you know those first three steps are very important and you have that third step is is a void for you I said well I don't know what to do about that um, I need to have a belief clearly but I don't and he said well use the meeting and I've heard in these rooms use the doorknob use the meeting use the people and I started to do that feeling at the time this is silly this is not going to amount to much and I suppose months went by but I got the gist of something a higher power eventually what evolved and this is pretty graphic my concept of a higher power is there's an oblong shape in my head. I don't know why, but there's this very specific oblong behind my forehead. And that's my sense of self. And inside that is a circle. And that circle is my healthy ego. Not my inflated ego or deflated ego. But my healthy ego serving my sense of self and my sense of self is that part that knows the right things to do and so my higher power resides within and it took a long time for that to evolve and it's been working for me um, I remember explaining that to a friend of mine. He thought I was nuts. <laughs> so, you know, to each his own. But it really, really works very well for me. Thanks for that.
And I think my time is up, so thank you all very much.